0: Amen. Well, Father God, we thank you for that. Father, that we can be still and know that you are our God. Father, we do stand in all of you. For what you've done for us, loving us so much that you sent your Son to die for us. We thank you, Father. give you all the praise, all the glory. Father, speak to us now through your Word. Pray that you penetrate hearts. That we won't just be hearers of the Word, but we will be doers of it as well. Father, speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips. My heart is your heart. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. It is great that we are here on uh, this series on Choose Life. I want to thank Judy uh, for being here and presenting to us. What a great opportunity it really is for us to get involved in young lives. I know that they, the leaders of that organization have such a heart for the young women in our community, and those children as well. So we'll encourage you again, uh, the tables out there for you to get involved, for, to go to that meeting as well next week to find out how you can get involved. You know, this series that we do every January is really powerful because we, it's a reminder for us that we are really here on purpose, that we're created on purpose And I know that's what Judy and the leaders of that organization are talking to those young women about. That they are here, they're created for a purpose, and that child is created on purpose. It's a great reminder for all of us, I know, as we uh, go through our own lives. A good reminder that we are created on purpose. You know, Pastor Jamie was uh, here last week, and as as Barry mentioned, in a very emotional way, he shared his own story about how how his mother recognize that he was created on purpose and that God had a plan for his life, that he was fearfully and wonderfully made, that should be our takeaway. That should be our encouragement. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, he read that famous passage last week, Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. When God knit us together in our mother's womb, we were created on purpose. You know, when he was uh, preaching last week and telling his story, I was thinking about uh, things that were created on purpose, that are, that are wonderfully made. And I was reminded that uh, Deb and I have this, uh, this afghan that's kind of a... Um, Kind of a running joke in our marriage because we've had this Afghan since we were married. It was uh, made by Deb's uh, great grandmother or grandmother, and uh, it the Afghan itself weighs literally forty to fifty pounds. It is so thick that it's so hard to even pull it up over top of you. So and the colors in this Afghan are. It's amazing. It's like the rainbow just exploded all over this uh, afghan. And so it's been in our closet since we were married. And it kind of keeps getting moved to another closet and then went to another bin. Now it's in a box in our garage. And I keep asking Deb, Deb, can we donate this afghan? We are never going to pull it out. It is the most hideous thing I've ever seen in my life. And every time I ask Deb every spring when we're doing cleaning out of our house, I always, can we get rid of this thing? It's time to donate this. And she says, no. No, I can't do it. Love will not allow her to give it up. Why? Because it's unique. There's no tag on this afghan anywhere. It says wash in cold water or, or made in some factory somewhere. It wasn't built on an assembly line. It's unique, it was one of a kind. Each strand, as many colors as as are selected on this afghan, each one was selected with care. It's valuable not only because of its function, but because of its maker. It's valuable not only because of its function, because of its maker. And for that reason, we'll never get rid of it. That must be what the psalmist was thinking when he said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I was woven together in the depths of the earth. I am fearfully, wonderfully made. So as we remember that for our own lives, many of us go throughout life thinking, you know what, I'm not worth much. I can't do much. I don't have many gifts or abilities. I may not look very good. I may not be very presentable. I may look at my own past and go, I am just not worth much. And this series, this two-week series that we're on, reminds us that we are created on purpose. And we turn our attention this week it's really part two of this series. That we're not only created on purpose, but we're designed for a reason. Designed for a reason. And this passage that we just read from Ephesians chapter two, it's it's a wonderful passage. It really is. Because in that passage, Paul talks about the past, the present, and the future of our Christian life. You see, we can't understand what we're designed for if we first don't understand. Who we are and what we were. And this passage clearly lays out for this that we're designed for a reason. What we were before Christ, what we are because of Christ, and what we will do through Christ. What we are, what we were before Christ, what we are because of Christ, and what we will do through Christ. Why we are here, that we're designed for a reason. We have to understand what we're designed for. But we can't understand what we're designed for unless we understand who we really are. So I encourage if you have your Bibles there, and we're in verse, uh, starting in verse 1, the first part of this is that what we were before Christ, what we were before Christ, verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, it says, in which you used to live, and when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. So what were we before Christ? What were we before Christ? This passage clearly identifies what our human nature really is. You know, it's interesting when you... You you see all these uh, horrible things on the news, all these tragedies, and they've been really reflecting on those this past year, and they they always look, they always always notice that they delve into the life of these people that have uh, performed these horrific tragedies. They always talk about their upbringing, they always talk about their parents, or their culture, or their influences around them, and they always seem to blame those influences, don't they? They blame the culture. Why, we, why they, they, they are who they are. The decisions they make. But as we see here in this passage, we understand that people make horrible decisions. Why? Because of their human nature. So what is the human condition? What is the human condition? First off, as it says in verse 1, we understand that humanity is dead. It's dead. Verse 1, as for you, you are dead in your transgression, transgressions and sins. It's interesting. We're not in danger of dying. We're not... Near death, we are dead in our transgressions. That's why John Piper says we are in the morgue, not the doghouse. In the doghouse, you can whimper, say sorry, throw yourself on God's mercy. But what, you, but what can you do in the morgue? Nothing. This is the human condition. We are completely, utterly dead in our sins. It's not just that we're sick. It's not just our culture around us. Yes, those things influence us. But it's not that... We go all the way back to the beginning, and somebody just set a bad example. Adam in the garden set a bad example, and that we've followed that example ever since. And we have the ability to choose good or choose evil without any divine intervention. Many people will teach that. And that's Pelagianism. It's the idea that we can choose good or evil. We can choose to do good or choose to do evil based on our own merit, our own works, our own ability. And the Bible says here where humanity is dead... Not only is humanity dead, but number two is we're also enslaved. We're also enslaved. It says in verse 2 and 3, In which you used to live and you followed the ways of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air. A spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at time to time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. And following its desires and thoughts. So not only is humanity dead, but it's also enslaved. And as these verses point out, three ways that it's enslaved. One is the world, the culture around us. Yes, the culture around us does influence us. It does encourage us to be a certain way or do a certain thing. We also are sabotaged by the devil. The devil does not want us to do good things. It wants us to live our own lives based on how we want it, gratifying our own desires. How do we look? How much do we have? How good is life? How much are we relaxing? It's all those things. It's all about us. It's also our flesh, it says. Paul says the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Galatians 5 is a powerful verse. It says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not able to do what you want. So we see If we have to understand where we want to be and what we're used for, we've got to understand who we are, who we were. We were dead. We were enslaved. Not only that, but it gets worse. Not only are we dead and enslaved, but we're also condemned. It says in verse 3, like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. God's wrath is consistent. It's just. The wages of sin is death. So without a Savior, we're dead. We're Enslaved and were condemned. And that's not a very encouraging message, is it? You know, if I would end there and say, well, church, have a wonderful week ahead of you, let's pray. That would be very, very tragic, wouldn't it? That's who we were. What's powerful, what's amazing, what should bring us such joy and hope is who we are because of Christ. See, we all need Christ in our life, we do. There's been many people, many people who have come into my office for, for counseling, Barry as well. They'll come in and they'll say, Hey, Jared, you know, dealing with a whole lot of stuff, I feel horrible, I'm miserable, I'm making all kinds of bad decisions. Where do you want to start? Should we, should we start with talking about my parents? Should we start with how I was uh, brought up? Should we start with uh, what the culture is telling me? Should we start with my addiction? Should we start with those things? Or they'll come in and say, listen, my husband or my wife is making my life miserable. Should we start with how they are treating me? And I always say, you know what? That's not where we're going to start. Because you're you're miserable in life. You're making bad decisions in life, not necessarily because of the culture around you, but because you don't have the Lord as your Savior. You don't have Him the center of your life. You couldn't make the decisions good on your own anyway. So let's start there. Let's make him the Lord of your life. Because we understand where we were. Now we understand who we are because of Christ. He says in verse 8 there, as you... As you uh, Excuse me, verse four there. It says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions, transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Church, let me tell you, these Verse 4 has the two greatest words of the entire gospel. Two greatest words. But God. But God. I had a seminary professor who told me, those, those two greatest words, I could write a book just on those two words. But God. You see, we look at who we were before Christ. We were dead. We were enslaved. We were following our own flesh, the devil, the world. And we're condemned to wrath, we're condemned to be in hell, away from God because he can't be around sin. And so, he sends his son, but God. But God. He made us alive with Christ. Notice when he did it too. When it happened, it's when we were dead. Made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead. It wasn't that we took the first step towards God by being good. By doing good things. It wasn't that we said, okay, I'm going to start living my life according to the way you want me to live. I'm going to start living selflessly, using my gifts to serve other people. Then God said, okay, now I'm going to save you. He did it while we were dead. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. We were dead, enslaved, and condemned. Now we're alive, free, and enthroned. It had nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with what we've done in life to earn it. That's why we sing and we talk about grace. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. We need to accept that grace. We need to confess our sins to him, realize there's nothing we can do on our own to save ourselves. So, Father, forgive me of my sins. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I accept your work on the cross for me. It was once said, cheer up. You're worse than you think you are but god 's grace is greater than you can ever imagine god's grace is greater than we can ever imagine so we understand who we were we understand who we now are because of Christ so now the real question is is what will we do see so we can't understand what we're designed for that we're designed for a reason if we don't first understand who we were and who who we, all, who we were and who we are. Why? Because everything that we would do, if it's all about doing good things, doing good works, as the Bible talks about here, then we would be doing it all selfishly in order to earn our salvation. That's why verse 8 is so powerful. It says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what will we do through Christ? Because of what he's done for us. Because of the love that he showed us. We accept this grace. We admit we're dead in sin. We present ourselves as, as, as living sacrifices. God, use me. And then we end up doing good things, the good works, as the, as the scripture talks about here. But we do it not because of salvation, not because we're earning something. We do it because of his love for us. Can you imagine if everything that we did in life, the good works... Whether it's with our families, our neighbors, or neighbors, or in our workplaces, or we're getting involved in church or serving. Can you imagine what it would be like around here if we were doing all those things, and it was some kind of checklist that the more we had of those things, the more likely that we were going to be saved, how much, how much more arrogant we all would be? I mean, we would be sharing everything that we were doing. At any moment, any good deed that we've ever done, we would be telling all kinds of things to other people. Instead of doing, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, and may the peace of the Lord be with you. We would say, now share with each other all the good things that you just did this past week. But we don't do that. We don't need to do that. Why? Because it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. So that no one can boast. And here's the key verse. For you are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. That's the key verse. Designed for a reason, not by works, no one can boast for your God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know, this is a tough passage to preach on because a lot of people think, well, I thought thought you were saying that we're not saved through works. Why is the Bible now saying that we need to do good works? Because good works do not bring about discipleship, but they do prove that it's genuine. James 2, 14 and 26 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. They can't produce salvation. But good works are a product of it. We understand God's design not only created us on purpose, but he's designed us for a reason. He designed us for a reason. That's why here at the church, we highlight so many ministries. We're constantly doing that. What we're calling ministry moments. Judy up here talking about young lives. About the encouragement to get involved. We want to encourage you to get involved. All she's looking for is people that are willing to to come alongside someone to be their friend. There's no special skill or, or any unique thing that you need to have in order to get involved in young lives. She said it really correctly up here. If you were a mother, have been a mother, then you're already qualified. Because that's what these girls all want. A mentor. Someone to come alongside and talk with. Pastor Barry was up here talking about Bill White. A guy who said, you know what, I'm going to spend one hour with Pastor Barry. And look, total Transformation. Barry talked about a ministry class that was coming up. The ministry class is a wonderful thing. We encourage you, if you've gone through membership and maturity, ministry is the next step where we highlight all the ministries. And there are, <laughs> there are a lot of ministries here at Christ Church. There's a lot of ways to get involved. Whether you're, depending on your time commitment, when you're available, when you're free, what gifts you have, there is a ministry for you to get involved with. So we highlight that. We highlight that every couple weeks. You'll see a volunteer card that we have in our service sheets. Highlighting all the opportunities for you to get involved. Why? Is it about earning? Is it about something that we're doing to earn salvation? No. The wonderful news is that it's, it's grace. It's already a free gift. But the works, what we do now, using our gifts to serve Him, is really the result of that. I love James 15. It says, This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's powerful, church. It really is. We want to encourage you. You need to be out there serving. Whether it's here in the church. Maybe some of you are in a workplace where there's a workplace. Many people don't know who Christ is. The idea of sharing Christ's love there with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. We all have opportunities to do that. I I had a wonderful opportunity this week to uh, uh, speak to a a couple in our church who's been at our church for uh, about a year or so. And they came in. It was a very simple request. They said, Jared, we just want to serve. Where can we serve? We're willing to be open to be used by God. Where can we serve? What avenues can we do that in? It was wonderful. And, to, and they wanted to do it together as a couple. I want to encourage you, husbands and wives, to, to serve together as a couple. So we talked a little bit about what the opportunities were here at the church. And we talked about their own neighborhood. It's a new neighborhood. And there's a lot of folks that who didn't uh, belong to a church who didn't know the love of Jesus. We talked about how they could share with those neighbors around them, how they can get involved here at the church. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. We talked about Matthew and Henrietta Rivers, who are going to be teaching the art of marriage. I had a great opportunity to meet with Matthew last week for lunch. What a powerful testimony it is. And while he's at Trinity School for Ministry right now studying, we talked about the idea that he doesn't want to just wait around until he's done with school to start serving. That was powerful. He's like, I want to serve now. I want to get involved now. I'm not waiting around. And see, a lot of people get into that moment where, that mindset where they, they understand that their salvation is earned, and then they then they think about resting in Christ. And I know I talked about this a few weeks ago at the installation service. A lot of people get to the point of, they're thinking, I'm resting in Christ now. Now that I'm saved, I can just kind of sit back and watch, watch the world kind of pass me by. I encourage you, the, the scripture says... For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What good is it, says in James again, my brothers and sisters, that someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds. Can faith save them? As the bodies without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We want to encourage you to get involved. Some of us feel like we don't aren't worth much, that we can't contribute in any way, shape, or form. That we're we're used, we're... Uh, older or, or we don't have many gifts and we're not very good for ministry or serving. And let me close with this. And I shared this a few years ago. And I was reminded of it this past week. I was uh, Last weekend, I was blessed to have one of my closest friends, Jeff, come out and visit me for the weekend. Jeff was a longtime friend of mine. We spent a lot of years together working in Silver Ring thing. And uh, I had given Jeff... Um, when he moved back to Arizona, my old trumpet, okay? I used to play the trumpet when I was in middle school and high school. I would say that I played the trumpet. I blew through this instrument that sounded like something. I don't think it was that good. And no, they won't ever let me play here, nor would I ever volunteer to play here. My parents were lovingly encouraged me and forcefully had me do it. But um, I played the trumpet. And the trumpet was beat up. It was bad. And had all kinds of dents and dings, and I was giving it to me from my brother, uh, who inherited it from somebody else, who had it from somebody else before him. It had no label, we didn't know who made it, it was tarnished, it was beat up, it looked horrible. And I remember one Christmas Eve, and this was very clearly, I was in 8th grade, my parents encouraged me again, uh, forcefully, to be in a brass group for Christmas, and our brass group was consisted of, we had about eight trumpets. We had a, tr- a couple trombones, a tuba player, and it was led by a guy who was actually in the symphony. And I remember showing up for practice, the, that, uh, that first practice, and I was given trumpeter number eight. Now, if you know anything about uh, music, the higher the number usually means the less responsibility that you have. I was trumpeter number eight. I didn't even know that thing, such thing existed. And I had about ten notes through this whole piece. And I remember after the first practice, the, uh, the gentleman, whose name was Doug, said, Jared, I need to hear more of trumpeter number eight. And I said, I can't even read music. I don't even know what these notes are. I said, does it really even matter? Then I remember he grabbed the trumpet from me and said, yeah, it does matter. Let me show you. And he grabbed that trumpet, and I've never heard anything more beautiful in my life. He played that harmony. Amazing. And I thought, man, a trumpeter, a trumpet in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing is powerful. It's powerful. He was able to play that thing, and it sounded so amazing. And Jeff has his trumpet now. And I asked Jeff about this trumpet. I said, did you ever pick it up and play it? He said, no, it's just sitting in my shelf. He collects instruments, Jeff. Old instruments, and his office is full of these old instruments. And he said, it's it's just sitting there. It's collecting dust. It's kind of cool when people come in and look at it. I started thinking about this passage here about we are created, we are God's handiwork, in Christ Jesus to do good works. So I thought about that trumpet and I thought, you know, I wonder if the maker of that trumpet would ever come in and see that on his shelf and go, that looks cool there, but I'm pretty disappointed in where it is. It's not really being used how I designed it to be used. It was created with care, designed perfectly. Details were thought through, it was crafted and loved, designed for a reason, and now it's just kind of sitting there, kind of letting everybody pass by it. My encouragement for you, my question for you is, are you sitting there kind of letting the world pass us by? You have to understand, as we talked about last week, you are absolutely, fearfully, wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb by a father who loves you, who cares about you, who's designed you perfectly. And you have, a, you have a role to play. You do. You're designed for a reason. It's a matter of saying, you know what, God? I may not feel like a whole lot. I may not be, feel like I can offer a whole lot, but I want to be used by you. Show me how to be used by you and then being motivated to get involved to do those good things that we've talked about as the scripture talks about. That's my encouragement for you. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's powerful. And it brings me such encouragement. And I want to encourage you, to make sure we're getting involved in using the gifts God given us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you knit us together perfectly in our mother's womb. And Father, I pray that you be with each and every person, maybe who is in this room, who doesn't feel very loved, doesn't feel very useful. Father, that you remind us, remind them, Father, that they are created in love. And Father, for those that may not know you, that they accept the grace you've given to us. Father, that they confess their sin to you, that they confess that they can't earn their salvation, that they need the death and resurrection of your son Jesus to save them. So Father, pray that they make you the Lord of their life, Father. And, Father, be with each and every one of us that we find ways of getting involved. That we won't just sit idly by watching life pass us by. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for gifting us. And we thank you for designing us for a reason. I ask all this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.